Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Uh, hello, good morning everybody. Happy last day of February. Thanks for joining us this morning. I was expecting to wake up to wild winds and rain and thunder. I've seen none of any of that yet. It is still, it's a little chilly though. You know, 50 degrees out there. Yeah. There's some clouds out there. You never know. You, you do never know. Could my be car, anyway. My car was actually my car was actually wet this morning. Oh, not from sprinklers, but from something coming from the sky. Huh? Just a little bit. That's kind of a regular occurrence in a Tascadero, and this morning yeah. that was not the case. So I don't know. You're coastal too, though, right? Don't yeah, you? Yeah, ag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, it's different. You're different. Yeah. <laughs> well, how'd the show go last week? I thought it was a good show. Yeah. Dan got a word in edgewise. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a good show. It, um, there we go. I don't know what that was. What does about. that even mean, edgewise? <laughs> Doesn't even make sense. I don't know. I don't know how that <laughs> expression came into being, but. Google. We uh, Actually, last week we had, um, we had Keith Bird as a guest on the show. Oh, yeah. Keith. Man, I should have listened. <laughs> I think you were busy packing a truck or something oh it was yeah it was a very busy day but yeah so how'd that go anything new on the website anything new and exciting there oh we talked a little bit about some changes with um the big online listing site zillow and trulia zillow bot trulia and and in in this merger their source for data is going to be changing yeah, well, a judge well, going to be leaving. <laughs> did you read though? Since then, so I'm sure you guys all talked this through last week. But uh, they they got an injunction. Is that what it's called? Oh, uh, to well, but they to were keep al- the data flowing. They were already going to the agreement was terminating with Zillow in April. They were just going to terminate it sooner with Trulia. So all they're going to do is delay the inevitable with Trulia, probably to to match the expiration date that Zillow has. Also. That's all. I mean, it's still going to end in April. And then Zillow is going to be scrambling to find more um, new sources for their listing data. Which is already unreliable. and It's already not been as accurate as, as the IDX searches that most um, realtors use on their websites. The big difference is Zillow tries to be like this everything listing website. You know, it tries right. to cover the entire country, whereas... Agents focus on their market, and they they have real, very accurate data for their local market, which really, when someone's looking to buy a home, they're not usually considering everywhere in the country. They're, they've usually narrowed it down to an area, <laughs> and True. so if they're after the most accurate listing data, then... A realtor website's usually the more... Seems like Zillow should ago. just pay the fee to join all the MLSs, huh? Yeah, I don't understand why they wouldn't. It seems like they would have enough revenue to do so. Or if the MLSs would even allow that. It's a, and that's what we talked about a little bit. Keith said that um, that 
the MLSs will only deal with realtors, but then couldn't Zillow just go out and hire some realtors so that they could then join? One would think. I don't know. Drop some, yeah, get a realtor from each region. And this is, it's interesting. Man, I wish we had one of those guys on the show today. When right now there's so many different little MLSs, right? Like here on the Central Coast, we have like five. Um, and there's a push right now to make a single statewide MLS. That would actually make it easier for somebody like Zillow to hire a, a realtor in each region. But it would also make it easy easier for a local realtor to only have to join one and get exposure to more data. Yeah, I was reading an article a couple weeks ago about that. That so I what you're touching on what we're talking about a little bit is the threat as to whether or not an online company can circumvent or replace the need for a real estate agent at all. And I was reading this in terms of how you know, should you and I be afraid that People are going to do online loans, and we're going to... They do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but to the point where you're no longer going to be a viable option. You you right. won't even be able to make a living in business because you can't compete with the online technology of the virtual loan officer. And the things about this article that I really liked first and foremost was uh, it, if it said no, that that's not something that you're to be concerned with. And then cited a variety of examples... Um, and then one of which came to life for me two weeks ago. First being, there was a client in town <clears throat> that was qualified by Quicken, uh, pre-approved to buy a house, okay? The real estate agents involved on both sides refused to work with this guy because he was using Quicken online. Said, if you don't get an approval from somebody around here locally, we are not going to take your offer seriously. And that's just because they've had too many bad experiences. Too many bad experiences. And then when it comes on down to it, there's very little accountability. They can't get to the person or find out who to appeal to that just that the, I mean, it's, it's almost like, I mean, where's your Quicken loan officer? He's on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> he is the computer. He's in the cloud. <laughs> We send our data to the cloud and yeah, but that's the thing though. And so there's some value to that. But then additionally, like let's say you didn't use a loan officer at all. Let's say that you could do an interactive, fill out the application. It'll give you a box. Hey, drag and drop your pay stub here. Drag and drop your W-2 here. And let's just say that you could, you were patient enough and the technology worked well enough and um, you believed in the security and everything was good enough that you could do that. Um, still what this, this article points out and I couldn't agree with more is that there's value, um, that is provided by having somebody not only to guide you through all that part of it, but then to help you understand that there are interest rate options, closing costs options. Um, there are program options, you know, not, not just taking the new 30-year loan and just refinancing into 30 years again, but the kind of counsel you might get if you're working for somebody that is trying to meet objectives of paying your house off sooner or consolidating debt or talking you out of getting, I mean, there's clients I talk out of getting a 15-year loan where you can tell they're just, they're slicing the budget down so paper thin to, to get a 15-year loan, and it's like you look at the loan application and say, hey, you got 
you got three kids and they're 15, 13, and 11. This 15-year loan right now is puts you at a 45 debt-to-income ratio. What happens in three years when your kid hits that college and cash flow changes? You know, if you do this, I can tell you what the payment is, and you can get yourself still on a 15-year track while preserving that ability to drop down if cash flow changes. Those kinds of conversations and kind of critical thinking that would come just from somebody that is um, – consciously paying attention to all of the details and trying to add value in that way. That's something that a computer really can't do. And I think that's what, to some degree, what this fear about Zillow and Trulia and everyone sort of scurrying around is just scared that if these companies are successful in doing what they're supposed to be doing, are they going to destroy or remove the need for the realtor in the transaction? And Probably equally as important, the realtor is to the loan officer. I mean, it's not going to go away anytime soon. But you see a lot of little fear-based um, squirming right now going on. Yeah, you do. And and Keith, Keith dispelled, I think, a lot of that fear last week when he shared a statistic that 4% of people get their realtor from an online source. Sure. So, I mean, Zillow. And by the way, he's one of the guys that specializes in getting clients from an online source. He does, yeah. That's one of the. <laughs> so he recognizes that that doesn't make up. I mean, he he probably wishes that was fifty percent because his business would be so much better for that. Sure. The, the reality of it is, it's very few people that are procuring a realtor that way. The referral. That That's referral still to somebody the tried that you, and true number one yeah. way to, to find a realtor. And, uh, you know, I every day, we've been in business long enough now that every day, if I'm at the grocery store or at my kid's Little League game or my daughter's gymnastics, wherever I am, I'm running into people that we've done loans for in the recent few years. And, um, and you can kind of hold your chin high in that. We don't have anything to be ashamed of and are proud to be contributing to a the local community by having a, an, an admirable business. That's not to say there aren't people out there that are like, I did a loan with Central Coast Lending and it was a total pain in my butt. Yeah, I know you're out there. Um, sometimes a big real estate transactions and lending transactions get sloppy in the details. It, it, they're hard to manage. But that being said, there is that accountability to being here and being um, – you can walk into the office and get your loan officer or say, I want to see you and your boss face to face right now. Um, it prevents that you don't duck phone calls and hide out from emails or whatever, because somebody very well could, if they don't walk into your office that day, you may run into them at Firestone for lunch, you know? So uh, I, I personally don't really feel threatened by it. If anything, I think um, it probably helps us a little bit that there is those that online sort of contradiction i feel like it is cash call by the way did i share this on the radio two weeks ago cash call recently got popped with a million dollar settlement for deceptive marketing practices yeah. uh, they're the ones who come on and advertise a two percent 30-year fix with no cost i mean <laughs> yeah. it's like the impossible those rate. commercials i see on tv and i'm like wow how can they afford to do that that's really fascinating to me um and now they got nailed but i can't help but i mean how many millions do you think cash call made 
by deceptively marketing. They probably budgeted their million dollar settlement fine right into that marketing. It's part campaign. of their business plan. Another one oh. that that got hit, I think, a year or more ago, Castle and Cook. Oh yeah, they're back in the news that they're growing and they're looking oh, yeah. for you know to expand their their footprint and you know they just it's a cost of doing business for some of these big yeah. companies. They'll take the chance. They budget the the penalty, and they just it's, it's part of the plan. That's that's pretty <laughs> maddening when you get down and think it about is. it. Jeez, uh, rules don't apply when you got a lot of money, right? <laughs> <laughs> you could afford it. That's the thing. Or you're or you've done it enough times before that you realize sometimes you get caught and sometimes you don't. So it's a good calculated risk. And if you get caught, you understand what the penalty will be. So you just have to make sure the business plan definitely exceeds the the would be penalty. That's some that's some crazy corporate logic going on right there. Well, we've come off a nice little run of uh, of of growth, I'd say, over the last fifteen months, which is I've been pretty excited. I know I was texting you yesterday after work, towards the end of work, just kind of I was excited. I don't know if you were I was feeling excited. that, <laughs> but over the last fifteen months, we've really seen a steady sustainable growth in business and i think it's indicative of what's happening industry-wide too um you know all the monthly data and stuff that we're about to dive into it it paints a more volatile picture than what i think really the, the market's doing i see i think what i see is is kind of what's being reflected in in the fed statements you know when when they come on and talk about things are improving it's steady it's sustainable but it's not you know, it has more to go. I, I continue. I, I, I look forward and see things continuing on the same path they're on, which is slow, steady improvement. Nothing dramatic, nothing too volatile, not worried about taking steps backward. Um, and and so I was pretty excited about how our our numbers look for the end of the month and how things have been going. And I'm excited for this upcoming spring and summer sales season. Yeah, I, I think it's going to it's it's going to continue to be a good year. And industry projections also suggest that. Um, that sales are going to continue to improve this year compared to last. It's still tight, though. I brought data in today, and we'll we'll get into it here later this hour. But this week, we're uh, we have the benefit of being able to take a look at pending home sales, mm-hmm. existing home sales, new home sales, and then a few housing indices that give us an in, insight into what's going on in the value. It doesn't of, always seem to work that way. We don't always seem to get all of the housing data in one week. Nope. This is kind of a weird week that we got that. So it's cool. And then also, um, talk again, Janet Yellen was in the news this week again, right? I mean, she testified before Congress. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's different than when she makes a statement releasing you know, what the Fed's discussed discussed and decided ultimately at their meeting yeah it's not a it's not necessarily just a prepared statement she's got to be there to answer i mean it's a lengthy two days of testimony in front of the what is it the um open house committee who they're they're there to ask questions that haven't been rehearsed you know they've she has to be ready to answer questions candidly yep and so we got a little bit of an insight into there. I mean, and altogether, the that meeting seemed less about the focus of um, monetary policy or economic outlook, and and more about um, defending what the Fed has been doing um, and its relationship to the the current presidential administration. 
Pretty wild. Must be fun for her to be right in that hot seat, huh? Looked like a great job, and then all of a sudden it just go. You go get grilled and yeah, grilled it's, thoroughly. It's not like it was a few years ago. You remember how contentious those meetings were? Oh yeah. When it was Bernanke there in front of in front of <laughs> almost what, Barney Frank and and Bernanke <laughs> was one of those guys. I always I always was kind of like, dude, react a little bit more. Yeah, he was stone faced, and he, he. I wanted to see him just like <laughs> one way or the other. Even if he was like mad and finally gonna just hammer back or just get flustered at the level of grilling that he took but he was always just so cool calm and collected and kept making the same old you know reaffirming statements even when there was no real sure news about what was going to happen you just that guy it was fun to watch well he was uh, always getting grilled by people who clearly didn't know as much as he did they didn't know that much about the real estate or mortgage industry. That's what they, you want. That's what you want out of the chair, though, right? Yeah. To just naturally, when when the like the grade schoolers start posing <laughs> questions about you know whatever, he could just look down his nose and be like, you know, Mister Frank, you just don't know what you're talking about. Um, there is always a little bit of a, a pretentious air about that, you know. But hey, man, that's the answer, man. That's the chairman of the Federal Reserve. It's 922 now. We're going to do our first commercial break. When we get back, we'll we'll jump in and start talking about this housing data uh, and how it relates to what's going on around here. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me just by switching to state farm a few hundred unexpected bucks i couldn't ask for more but now i've got to figure out what i should use it for a new bike would be radical but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm get to a better state state farm switch to state farm and you could save to find out more in san luis obispo call agent susan rodriguez through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Trucking, got my chips cashed in, keep trucking. Like the doodah man together, all less in line, just keep chugging on. It's all shed a quick tear for Jason. <laughs> Trying to get tickets to see the Grateful Dead in Chicago and I, darn Ticketmaster, it was I, forces I, beyond his control would not allow it to happen. I'm reluctant to even kind of share. <laughs> I still do feel that there's a, um, I don't know. A, I've got my finger on the dump button. Don't worry about it. Many <laughs> no, I want to. I want to phrase it correctly because I think it's it, it's worth saying, yeah. even only quickly, is that um, th- for me, I as a as a lifelong fan of the Grateful Dead, I feel like there's a a big <laughs> portion of the population that judges them and has an opinion without actually knowing much about it. And uh, anyway, big deal. The I saw a guy at work this week that was coming through the parking lot and he was wearing a, a shirt you could clearly see. I mean, you don't often see me wearing any clothing that you'd be like, oh, he likes the Grateful Dead. Um, I don't know that that's the the best image for me to be putting forward always, you know, because of that um, association. But anyway, I said this guy, he's wearing a shirt, clearly a Grateful Dead fan. And so I said... I like your shirt, and I and I said, um, see you at eight a.m. on Saturday. And he turned around and he goes, "Good luck, buddy." And we just like walked past each other that way. Um, so this morning was when those tickets went on sale, and there literally was. Um, I'm sure we're going to see stats about how many people logged in this morning to Ticketmaster to buy those tickets. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. When they did the mail order tickets a few months ago. The little town that receives them was overwhelmed with um, – they didn't even say the amount uh, by way of requests. It was it was literally like talked about in terms of pounds of wow. mail. Wow. There was so much mail, so many requests. It was so overwhelming. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, this morning I I was of the millions that logged in – for a two-minute timer window, I had some of the best tickets in the arena that money could buy, and there was a glitch <coughs> in between the password and the website, and I lost them. I'm pretty upset about it, man. Whether, whether it's concert wow. tickets, mortgages, or finding a realtor, it just proves that doing business online can be problematic. <laughs> I'm telling you it can. <laughs> and if you, if you like live music at all and go to live music – um, as enthusiastically as somebody like me, I cannot stand Ticketmaster. The mere fact that I have to go there and, and participate in that to get a ticket, oh, competing Maybe with Ticketmaster. the scalpers. Isn't that so like against Grateful Dead? Why aren't they using one of the little Ma and Pa ticket broker companies? There really aren't any anymore. And that's the reason why they have always controlled their uh, mail order. We should start one. Yeah, there you go. 
yeah, good luck. <laughs> the marketing Coast. of it and everything. You gotta be able to handle Oops. millions of Central Coast in. tickets. There we go. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, speaking of which, there's some cool shows already scheduled for Vina Robles. I have a feeling that that's going to prove to be a pretty significant. Um, it has to be. It's the best concert, concert venue, around, especially yeah. with the plans for Slow Brew to move away from from hosting doing good live shows. music the yeah. way they have for years and years. Anyway, this show's not about music, so I guess we won't talk about that. But thanks, hey, thanks for the trucking. Because yeah. I here's your salt back, Jim. I, uh, <laughs> the wound is thoroughly covered. I, uh, <laughs> man, I've never been so like stressed out, like immediately and acutely for a two-minute run while that was all happening. But hey, you know, whatever. We mentioned the name Barney Frank in the last segment, and I was reminded of when he was always on TV. It seemed like talking about you know all the changes that needed to happen, and in 2010 he was very. Uh, very vocal about needing to abolish Fannie and Freddie, that they were just a problem. They needed to go away. Um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were to blame. 2010. The, yeah, it was 2010. To blame. They, they, they were it. They were the problem in the mortgage industry and housing industry for creating these toxic mortgages. And, you know, over the years, we've, we've described how they weren't the, the originators of of these stated income, right. and no doc and, you know, fog and mirror type loans. They just, they were becoming irrelevant by not participating in that. And they started to dumb down their guidelines, but never to the same level that, that the private wall street banks, um, you know, ended up doing. So here we are fast forward 2015 yet again, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac posting billions of dollars of profit. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's like, um, I mean, picture if like you owned the Firestone in San Luis, if that was your business, and like you owned it with a sibling, and your sibling just kept coming go coming in saying, "We gotta get rid of this place. I hate this place." And you're like, uh, "Hey man, it, we're basically printing money in here right now." Yeah, and but you lost money that one year. <laughs> as soon as we get done um, printing more money in here, we're gonna go ahead and and take a look at your idea of getting rid of this place. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like slaughtering the golden goose. Um, so for the time being, what what's the current plan with Fannie and Freddie? I I haven't heard much lately. <laughs> I keep wondering if they're if it's being saved for uh, just presidential debate material. Possibly, um, possibly. But, come on, how much does the average person care about this at all? I don't know. I mean, people are going to care if they go away and there's no more fixed mortgages. Indeed. Um, so who, that's what they provide. And so who's going to talk about that? I mean, that that would be if you tried to campaign against me on that, you're going to be like, we need to get rid of Fannie and Freddie. I'd be like, yeah, hey, everybody picture if you were left only to three, five or seven year arm loans. That's all. Th those are your options. Pick one <laughs> and then go do that with your million dollar house and hope for the best or your even your four hundred thousand dollar loan. Um, I had a guy in this week, listener of the show, fantastic guy. Um, we've been talking for a couple of years about strategies for him because he's got um, he got loans nine years ago that were that old vintage thirty year with the ten year interest only. Mm -hmm. um, so check this out, and, and I'll just real fast background for everybody listening. Fannie Mae did offer this loan, okay. 
It's a it's a 30-year fixed rate loan where the interest rate and term of the loan is 30 years. But for the first 10 years of that, they allow you to make an interest-only payment. You could think of a pretty good argument pretty quick about why that's a terrible idea. Um, but then you got to acknowledge that for some people, that's not a bad idea. As having an interest-only option for the first 10 years, you could, of course, always send in a principal payment if you so felt so inclined. Um, but what happens in month 121 on this loan? Basically turns into a 20-year amortized loan. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and amortized. It, and it adjusts. Well, it, well, it, re, it Is it, it a 30-year fixed? 30-year fixed. Mm. But this thing just recasts basically into a 20-year. It's fully amortized and it's fixed still. But in this case, the payment on this loan, which is like three hundred ninety grand, goes from $2,000 a month to $2,900 a month. That's actually... I'm surprised it's not a bigger difference. Yeah. I was like, that's actually not a horrific jump there. Um, but so check that out. 900 bucks a month. And sadly for this cat, he's got two of them. So can you... And they're rental properties. So can you imagine though, like you're, the mortgage payment's two grand and the rent's two grand and you're hanging on by a thread and now it's going to go to 2,900. Who's chipping in that... That 900 bucks times two to keep that afloat. Most households would struggle with being say, hey, here's your new bill for 1800 bucks that you're going to make for the next 20 years. Um, so those were, those were kind of some of the worst types of loans that Fannie did make. And I expect we'll see some of that come out in the, the wash in the next couple years here as um, some of those are going into their recast period. If you had an old-fashioned adjustable rate loan, like a 10-year fixed, You'd actually be happy that it's adjusting right now as your payment's going to go down remarkably where it's index plus margin, which is going to be less than the note rate that you paid for the last 10 years. There's a lot a lot of different types of loans like that. And I guess as long as we're talking about that, I'd like to just offer up to you, if you have an adjustable rate loan um, or an interest-only loan, if you have a even a negatively amortizing loan from yesteryear, if you have any kind of a loan where you're not sure what it does or when it's going to do it, um, I'm happy to, to help you understand that. We can break it down into pretty simple terms for you. We just need to see a copy of the note from when you got statement. the loan. Yeah. Sometimes the mortgage statement will tell the tale too. But, you know, sometimes people will come in with like, say, a seven-year loan and they're in year six and they're being told by their current servicer that their mortgage is about to adjust and it's going to go to X, right? But then they're worried. They don't know how long it's going to be there for before it changes again or what to expect going forward. So we can kind of draw out a little roadmap for that based on the caps that are built into the loan that um, tells the story of, of what's going to happen. The only real wild card being what what the indices in the economy do. If it's based on the one-year LIBOR, that is then, if that's going to go up over the course of the next year, that that ultimately can affect you. But you do still have some payment adjustment caps. So even if the LIBOR goes crazy over the next 12 months, there's a built-in protection in most every loan. So if anybody has one of those and wants some help to understand it, just so you're not laying awake at night, um, let us know. We can help you with that. I derailed your thread, bro. That's all right. You were talking about Fannie and Freddie. Well, they're just getting ready to pay yet another dividend to the U.S. Oh? taxpayer. and How much? Another almost $2 billion 
Wasn't and, that uh, sweet? What's what's pretty crazy? What's the scorecard on the whole endeavor? Since the this is just Fannie. Since the the bailout, when the U.S. taxpayers and all the money that they provided to Fannie to to keep them afloat during the worst of times, they gave a hundred and sixteen billion dollars. They've received back now that money plus another twenty billion. So about what a eighteen percent return. Yeah. on that investment and continuing they're going to continue to receive dividends yeah. as long as they're in conservatorship yeah i like the idea of figuring out a more permanent solution of what we're going to do with fanny and freddie i personally would err on the side of i'd like to see i mean you've got to remember first of all the lines were clearly blurred from the beginning it was a government sponsored enterprise so what does that mean? What does it mean when the government sponsors you as a business? Um, we know what it means in retrospect. Um, nobody really knew what that meant going into it. And what it meant before was that Fannie and Freddie made hundreds of billions of dollars of all private profit. That money was given over to the stockholders. The company was a fat hog. They just did so good and made so much money for so many years. Then we hit this most recent housing recession where Fannie, obviously, I mean, what, what's the stat? $116 billion they needed. They needed to be girded up with real taxpayer dollars. The, that didn't I come mean, from investors no. or shareholders. That came from taxpayers. Right. And so what now we go, oh, oh, okay. I get what I get what government sponsored enterprise means. Um the the profits are private, but the losses are public. I mean, that to me is the ultimate takeaway about what happened there with Fannie. So I'm gonna say this. Why don't um, they just make it all public? You could make it all public. Mm, I I hate the way the government runs most of the businesses that they do run. But so here's what I'll say about it. I would really like to see, um, first of all, leverage requirements have been reined way back from where they were. So Fannie can't even get the same exposure that they had um, in the in the years leading up to this problem. And then additionally, now there are these asset requirements and stress tests and things that um, the bank has to be able to. And I, I'm calling Fannie Mae a bank. I mean, they ultimately guarantee these loans, but they still do have uh, balance sheet requirements and stuff. The, my point is, they don't. They'll never have the exposure again that they had then. And one of the things that we can do is just continue to force them to have higher reserves, so that their reserves are deep enough to withstand big, you know, big swings in the whole huge housing economy. Um, and then additionally, that you make the profit of it. I mean, what's wrong with how it's functioning today? I, the profitability of it like is paying the taxpayer. It's huge. Yeah. I'm I'm plenty excited that um, Fannie and Freddie are both producing the kind of profits that obviously they were going to make one day. Um, I think it's only by great luck that we managed to – the government – recognized how massive that problem was made took them under conservatorship made the decisions and business decisions they did to withstand the storm um i do like the idea of private enterprise but i get this is one of the places where i get blurred on it is like you know it, to me it's almost like currency 
yeah, that really needs to be a function of the federal government. And with the secondary market that we have in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the way that the housing economy depends on them, that's arguably as important as the the currency that the feds are managing. So why not? Um, why not allow them the opportunity to continue on and run this thing as basically a public utility? Because um, remember, back at the whole heart of it, what does Fannie Mae do? Provides the standard by which loans can be originated and traded, um, evaluated, the guidelines that are um, really inarguable. These are the framework by which we'll make any loan. Um, and even the companies that aren't a Fannie Mae lender follow most of the Fannie Mae rules because they're so clear and they've been around for so long and are tried and true addressing most anything military deployment guidelines. There's what happens to alimony guidelines. There's lottery winning guidelines. There's gambling losses guidelines. There's you know, all anything you could think of, it's been an addressed and incorporated and made part of these guidelines to where that creates that common fabric for anybody that's going to make a loan. It's like the universal building code. Hey, man, you can't just start nailing drywall together. You need to put some studs in there. That's what Fannie Mae does for the, the housing industry. Um, yeah, we could talk. I could talk about Fannie and Freddie for a good long while. I'm still not convinced why Freddie Mac is even still in existence and why they continue to have differences, different guidelines yeah. in them. But hey, I, I, I mean, one, well, because one when step they're private, at a time. when they're private, you're worried about some kind of monopoly. So they, if they made, if they're made public, then you could blend the two together, have one thing that's publicly controlled, and yeah. I don't know. At the same time, you could make the argument, though, that if they are public, it's nice to see Freddie Mac just does things, um, puts a little more emphasis in how much assets you have and cares a little bit less about how much income you have and gives a little bit more credit to how stable you are as opposed to just checking the boxes. And so you get a little bit of leniency in debt to income ratio or a little bit of leniency in being able to have a non-occupant co-bar. But then there are things like, you know, Fannie Mae will waive your landlord history requirement where Freddie Mac will not. If you're going to qualify for rent income in any loan with Freddie Mac, you have to have been a landlord for two years. You don't get to get around that. But with Fannie Mae, they're like, well, if you haven't actually been a, a, a landlord, but you have like a signed lease, we'll take it. So point being, one isn't necessarily more risky than another, but it's nice to have both because of the differences. You could track the performance of both um, and that way not eliminate something that is helping a lot of people borrow, um, but still performing at an acceptable level. Does that make sense? Yeah, I still think there's a way to blend it all together. There's a way to blend it all and together. And still track performance of the different sure. aspects. Yeah, you could do that. Or, hey, here's an idea. Blend it all together and then have some risk-based pricing to offset those little deals. Like, hey, yeah. your debt-to-income ratio went over 45%, so you have a $5,000 upfront fee 
and you're just going to pay that today. And if you don't like it, then, hey, go whittle down your car payment and come back when you're under 45. You could address these things this way. You make perfect sense in every way but the landlord history. So we're just going to charge you a quarter percent higher interest rate because of that. Um, and then just make a rule where people don't get more than one accommodation. I mean, wasn't that really what happened in the housing industry? We ended up with programs Layered that were risk. all of the accommodations. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what you you're a non-citizen with no income, no assets, no job, no credit, no down payment, no assets. We have that program. It's over here. Um, we you should only <laughs> ever get to get one accommodation. You had a short sale in 2010, you better be good on everything else. You better have income, you better have assets, you better have you know, all of your ducks in a row. You don't get to have two chinks in your armor. You have one, everybody deserves one, and arguably one for a fee. But how did we end up with entire banks running on the platform of the loan that was all of the exceptions built into one? One day out of bankruptcy, no problem. They were running out of people to give loans to. They needed to find new people. Never <laughs> underestimate self-preservation. That's the, that's the rule here. Hey, guys, it's 945, so we're going to do the, the final commercial break of this hour. Um, so do stick around after the short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. Refi or refinance at home. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Central Coast, Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending.
All right, guys, welcome back. That is just a happy song. I love that song. And I, yeah. you want to know another crisis that I'm having right now? That's just recently over the last two weeks. What would that be? The Voice and American Idol are on at the same time. So you know, uh, I'm doing them both on the DVR, but I'm having trouble keeping up. Uh, I forget what. Sh- Imagine if we didn't have a DVR. What singers on what <laughs> show? You know. Oh my gosh. Whew. You're gonna be really perplexed if, for some reason, the Grateful Dead gets on TV too. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> have you been watching American Idol? Oh yeah. Yeah. I forget the name of the guy. It's not Savior, but it's something close to that. You know that guy? Savion or something? Yeah, that, guy, that guy's going to win the whole thing. He's pretty good. There's a lot He's of good pretty, people. There's some good people. <laughs> yeah. Have you? Do you guys watch The Voice? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. It depends. Oh. Usually corralling children when that. Yeah, you just, you just record it and watch it later. Um, yeah, anyway. That's good TV. I'm liking both of those shows. Those are fun shows. Um, hey, I wanted to ask you, too. You text me, and I didn't text you back. I wanted to find out. Um, I we, we had Eric Ferrangi on the show one time about Hag Water, and I have bought Hag Water, and you got the sales pitch, and I wanted to know what – he's probably not even listening anyway, but – He's got a great presentation. Man, is that guy a fantastic salesperson. Um, I mean, hard water is definitely an issue around here, as is drinking quality water. Right. Or quality drinking water. So, yeah, to the point now where I'm looking at um, upgrading my tap water to something... Yeah, better some RO. See, some... and you're in a little bit different spot than I was, because folks, what kind of what I'm I'm asking Dan to talk a little bit about this um, the water filtration at home issue um, as a somebody that does pay for it for and you don't right? I mean, you don't have. Do you have anything at the house right now? Not currently, no. We were doing portable exchange in a Tascadero. I think the water is an awful lot harder than it is down in Morro Bay. Yeah, we're getting state water, and we got um, we just got our stuff was all getting ruined. It's not an option to be without some kind of soft water up in the Tascadero. A coffee maker makes it like a month before it's dead and gone. Um, but then additionally, um, I did quite a bit of reading about, um, fluoride and chlorine and things like that in the water. Yeah. Those things. Um, and man, you've already seen the pitch. Eric definitely knows how to, to give you some insight on those things. But, uh, anyway, um, we were already paying for it was part of the answer to my question is that we were doing the, um, Colligan reverse osmosis system in our kitchen because our drinking water didn't taste good enough for all of us. And then additionally, um, we were doing the portable exchange where for a fee that was heavily dependent on gas, by the way, I had like a gasoline surcharge on my bill every month. Um, it just, it was expensive and it, it ended up costing us roughly $113 a month to do what we were doing. And so moving over to the plan where we ended up doing the Culligan thing, originally I did like an installment loan with them through, they have a financing component and it was $120 a month. 
Um, but ultimately, uh, rather than than have either of them, just having the the portable exchange thing in as a rental in perpetuity or moving over to this component where when it was paid off, it was owned with no further expenses. Um, I did the latter and then paid it off significantly early. I mean, I took like a seven year contract and paid it off in like six months, but, um, that was how we justified it. And if you don't have that same expense, I think that's, you're starting from a different position, but I do want to just say, um, we have been so incredibly happy with our Hague system that it's not even funny. Um, Eric's got a car that his license plate says water snob. And one of the things he said to us about um, water is you'll, you'll know, you'll not know how good your water is until you've had it for long enough that you go elsewhere and you're like, oh, God, I have to shower in this. Um, totally. That's exactly what happens. Um, the everything in the house. I mean, so we have the whole house water filtration. So those hard water issues in the sh- in the shower tub toilet um even the sink all that none of that is having the buildup and calcium deposits and stuff the way it always did with hard water before um and like i said we were on the portable exchange thing but those things like wear out and then if you miss a delivery or whatever then you fill up your water heater or your house with hard water and then it takes long enough to flush it back through to soft. So that was another problem is coming with five people in the household coming in and out of having soft water. We no longer have those issues ever. Um, and most everybody agrees the drinking water at my house is like, it's bar none. It's amazing. But um, yeah, it's expensive. It is for sure. I also, the other thing too, and this was one of the things that was compelling to me is, um, do you guys smell chlorine ever in your water? No. No, ever. Never? No. So chlorine's like added somewhere along the way, right? Chloramine. Yeah, whatever. Chlorine. (laughs) I mean, it's the same thing. And Agreed. I'm not a I'm not a chemist, but it's it 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 basically my point is that it breaks down in your body in a similar way, um, basically like into chloroform, and the chloramine is added to the water somewhere in the supply system as like a booster, and they do it to reach a level of parts per million. And the trouble is if you don't know where it's added, like if you're the very end of the road or where they test it, if you're the end of the road or the first house after it goes in, you could be getting really high levels of chloramine in your water. Um, Ours was so bad, like in the morning, brushing your teeth, turn on the water to like rinse your toothbrush and just get a shot of like, I mean, it smells worse than the worst public swimming pool you could have of like a gas that you could feel in your eyes and lungs out of the water. And that was alarming enough to me that that was probably single-handedly the number one reason why I was interested in doing that filtration system above just doing the water softener and the RO. Because you can, or you can do just a water softener or just an RO, 
but I wanted that out. And anybody that experienced that at my house would have agreed that we must have been right down line from where they added Just it in a Tascadero. Oh, man. It was, <laughs> yeah. In the shower, you could smell it. Like, you turn on the shower, and especially, like, the hot water with the vapors. It was so strong. And so I think it matters where where within the community or wherever you are, are you experiencing that um, – that chlorine issue or whatever. <laughs> three minutes down, three minutes. So I won't, <laughs> I won't nail you we down. Get better hand signals. I won't nail you down on whether or not you're going to buy it. But um, if you buy it, I get like some referral fee. So oh, we're still pondering <laughs> it. And it's not really a referral fee. We get, I get soap. Oh, cool. Yeah. Soap. Yeah. Cool. That's a good thing. Well, I'm you saw you saw in his presentation how the difference between hard water and soft water, you know, how much soap you have to use or whatever. You should um, get soap for this for this um, testimonial for a not even a sponsor of the show. He's, yeah. <laughs> That's how much I believe in the product, I man. Tell, I can tell. I do love it. I'm I'm happy that I that I have it. You should get it too, or buy me some soap. <laughs> you could say no and buy me soap. Anybody out there from Procter and Gamble listening, send it to yeah. Central Coast Lending and care of Jason, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, a caller called in while you were talking about water, and um, they wanted to know how to water refinance. in my house. Though that's housing <laughs> right, related. In, ho in in your house, they wanted to know how to refinance on a rental property. Hmm. It's easy. Call 543-LOAN. No. Um, refinance on a rental property, I mean, it, you, it's really kind of the same as doing a refinance against your owner-occupied um, residence. less options. It's a conventional loan product only. Yeah, and, and basically what we do, though, is if you're renting it, that means that you have a Schedule E that you're filing in your tax returns for um, income from real estate rental. And... You're putting all of your expenses and everything, including your depreciation and that mortgage interest, all that stuff's going on that Schedule E. So all we do is we look at the Schedule E. We can add back depreciation and a few other items from that schedule. But we basically figure out what the cash flow of the property is. Um, and even if the property cash flow is negative in our calculation, we take into consideration what your income is from work and other sources. And... You just need to have a debt-to-income ratio that fits the guidelines, and then, um, yeah, you just get a loan. You do have to still get an appraisal most of the time, so you got to coordinate the tenants being able to let an appraiser in. But it's pretty straightforward. And all in all, I'll say we could talk about this a little bit after the break in terms of the pricing, but the interest rate's pretty darn close to what it is for a, a you know owner-occupied deal. That sound signals the middle break here, so we're going to go out for a few minutes. When we get back, we'll have another hour of Mortgage Matters. Stick around. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Well, I was three years old, splashing everywhere, and 
so began my love affair was warm. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're not going to talk about water anymore because we just talked about water all through the break. <laughs> um, and if any of you guys are listening, wondering why somebody like me would say all the things I just said about my water, it's uh, call Haig quality water. Um, <laughs> tell him I sent you. Chase gets a royalty. He gets free soap. So get some. <laughs> not not necessarily free soap, dude. It's like a Amway style thing, dude. You get some points, and then cool. you can use your points to buy some stuff. There you go. Get some soap. All right. Hey. So are we done talking about rental property? Oh, I wanted to just say real quick, we were talking earlier about um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and how um, you could have a loan level price adjuster for some risk factor. Okay. They do that for investment property. This is it. And so here's one thing that many people don't realize. Um, So first and foremost, why is an investment property riskier? Because it's... You're more likely to, in the in the event of a of a household financial crisis, to walk away from a home that you're not living in more frequently than you are the home yeah. you actually live in. You're gonna keep the roof over your head, beg, borrow, and steal. If there's some problem making the mortgage payment or whatever because of the tenants or whatever, you're like, you know what? That's not the roof over my kid's head. You're you're more likely to go default on that. You're also not living in that property, you know, seeing how it's being cared for all the right. time. So it's just- a- Not as on top of the maintenance and yeah. all that kind of thing. So that's why it is a little bit more risky. We have to agree that it is. Um, now, the way that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac both address this is that with a 25% equity position in the property, whether it's a purchase or a refi, um, they charge you points for it. And the points are 1.75% of the loan amount. So on a $100,000 loan, you're going to pay an extra $1,750 up front because you don't live in it. And you know, I'm going to say that's reasonable. Um, but Let's scoochie up a little bit, a $400,000 loan that you don't live in. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking 7000 bucks close to it to uh, pay as this premium for not living in the house. That gets especially hard to swallow if you have like 50% loan to value, which a lot of investors around here do. They're not a very big default risk anyway. But so here's, the, here's how it's addressed um, for some people. As you guys are aware, and we talk about interest rate stuff on the show, um, maybe not as much as we should, but every interest rate has a charge or a credit associated with it. In other words... has a value. Yeah. If you do, let's say you do a 4.5% interest rate today. Wow, that's really high. I saw online that interest rates are like 3.875. Yeah. So if you do a 4.5, that interest rate has a credit then that will cover most all of your costs. The commission to the loan officer, the title fee, the escrow fee, the appraisal fee, the property taxes, the recording fee. I mean, you pile it on there. For most loan amounts, you'd have trouble using all of the credit that that high interest rate would um, produce. Inversely, if you, let's say you want a 3.5% interest rate, 
Well, not only is there no credit to pay any of those other third-party fees, now you're going to pay them out of pocket and you're going to pay points for your interest rate typically. So that is the kind of deal where there's a, a pretty big um, – it, it gets very expensive, maybe $10,000 in upfront costs. What we specialize in is helping make clear to you all of those options that exist to you. You could buy down a lower interest rate, paying upfront costs by way of cash or equity to get the lowest possible interest rate. You could go middle of the road, like today, a 4% interest rate, which is going to be no points, um, but also not really probably any credit to pay the other third-party fees. Or you could go up to, say, 4 and a quarter or 4.5, where not only are you not paying points, but you're getting a credit to, to offset all those other fees. So what we usually do on an investment property is um, that that's typically about a quarter of a point in interest rate. So if if you're tracking with me, if 4% was like a no points deal for your owner occupied residence, you could do no points on an investment property then for four and a quarter. Um, that instead of paying that 1.75%, which in my $100,000 example is $1,750, the difference between 4% and four and a quarter on a $100,000 loan is going to be about $15 a month. So now you're like, well, okay, so if I pay $1,750, I'm going to save 15 bucks a month, which means it's going to take me like 15 years to, to, for that to sort of equalize. And so those are the kind of conversations that we have with people. Um, here are your options. You could pay it up front. You could not. You could choose to pay more interest over time. And then we like to couple that with what your intention is. Hey, I'm here on a work deployment where I know I'm only going to be here for five years. So I want to own a house here for five years. But at the end of five years, I'm moving to Paris and I'm selling this house. That's not a person that we want um, paying fees up front that are going to break even in seven years. That's a person that shouldn't be paying any fees up front at all and should pay an extra 30 bucks a month on the mortgage payment so that they don't waste a bunch of money over time. They're never going to have the opportunity to recoup. So, you know, that's my point there is on an investment property, there's a little bit of option interest rate. They're not difficult loans to do. We do them every month. Um, actually very easy. And, uh, you know, the only other thing to remember is that the appraisal on an investment property is always a little bit more expensive instead of 500 bucks or like 700 bucks. Uh, appraisers got to do some more extensive work and produce a few additional schedules for the operating income and then the comparable rent schedule for that report makes it a little bit more expensive. But all in all, it's a piece of cake. Um, I have them. We have them in our pipeline right now. We do investment properties all the time. Um, and let me just, before we move on from that, let me just remind everybody that residential lending is for um, one to four units. So that's even if you own a four-unit rental property where you have one building or even four buildings on a single lot, those are loans we can do. If you've got five units or more on a single lot, that turns into something altogether different. So um, to that caller that wanted to know uh, how to refinance a rental property, there's your flyby. And I'll challenge you to make an appointment, come in and sit with me or one of the loan officers. And what you'll find is um, 
we'll custom tailor that whole discussion to what your specific needs are, um, what your loan amount is, what your property type is, the interest rate options that are available to you, and walk out a whole clear and concise plan. Then you can decide whether or not it makes sense to to embark on that uh, refinance or not. Yeah. That was good. That was thorough. Woo. That's how I'm thorough. Yeah, you are. When it comes to talking, I'm plenty <laughs> thorough. <laughs> If you one word for it. sometimes <laughs> Dan went out and got some coffee. Sometimes people send me. What did I miss? Sometimes people send me an email. Like I got an email this week from a guy that said um, his brother-in-law owned a property, and it was a ten-acre property, and they have offered now for these guys to build themselves a residence somewhere on the property. So he was inquiring about a construction loan. And I emailed the dude back and was like, uh, this is more than I'm willing to type. We need to get on the phone together. Um, that, and you know, not, it wasn't obviously wasn't trying to provide bad service or anything. That's a very complex issue. And so, um, I'll, I'll talk to you until we both are tired of talking. Um, but <laughs> typing, not my forte. And man. then I might talk longer. <laughs> then you'll, you'll pass out from listening and I'll keep talking. Um, oh, funny, funny. I'm glad you have a sense of humor about it, Jason. I really am. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's nature, right? Yeah. That's the reason a dog chases a ball or, you know, I'm a talker. That's what I do. That's a good thing. I You're like in it. sales, basically, and mortgages and stuff. And I'm in service, I mean, Jim. I want to remind you that. Yeah, I'm in are. service, not sales. <laughs> so way, way back at the very beginning of this show, we started saying that there was a lot of housing data out this week. Indeed. I think we should probably start talking about it. I'm ready. To... <laughs> Why don't you talk about it and I'll I'll put my listening hat on. Oh my. Where to begin? I can't do it. <laughs> we could start with a couple of I mean everyone wants to know what their home's worth. So those are those are always the exciting numbers. It's couple worth of, more. It's worth more. It's that seems to be the trend, right? We had two different home price indices come out this week. We had the 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 standard the case and shillers home price index and then we had the newer kid to the block the federal housing finance authority house price index apparently they don't want to call it home they want to call it a house um both were up both were up well because a home is what you do in the house the house is just the structure right you can't value a home and there I mean, what's little... your home worth dan <laughs> Yeah, way I mean, more than way your more, house way more than i could sell it for way more than your house it's all those memories um case the case schiller index is a little different because it's just based on home sales <clears throat> whereas the fhfa house price index is based on all transactions that are guaranteed by fannie mae and freddie mac yep. so that would include refinances and purchases that are done on conventional lending and by the way, that's a lot. That's, that's a, a lot. it takes a lot more data into consideration than just the purchase contract sales data. And to put that into context, we had <clears throat> and it's actually a little bit skewed because recently we've had more refinancing, but for example, for the fourth quarter of last year when I think the market was a little more normal, we did about two thirds of our business was purchase and a third of our business was refinancing. And then to break it down a little differently, 
three quarters of our business was conventional lending and a quarter of our business was government lending. So they do track, they do get a lot of different data. And I would argue that FHFA gets a lot more data and a lot of it overlaps what Case Schiller gets. So I, I tend to believe that that FHFA index is a little more representative yeah. of what's going on. Yeah. You know, you say that. Here's how I feel about this, though. If I, you know, like my house, for example, if I went and got an appraisal today, I know it's going to be at least 10% less than what I could actually sell my home for. It's totally data dependent, whereas a purchase is market dependent. Yeah. And then you can say, hey, look, you know, for example, so you go to get a refinance and many people that get their house appraised for a refinance feel this way. Um, so your appraisal came in for 400 grand. You're like, that's crazy. I would not, if you went out into the market and looked around my neighborhood of what could be purchased for 400 grand, they don't compare to my house. Um, and that appraiser by and large is doing a, like a price per square foot calculation without being able to, to put motivation to it. Okay. When you go sell your home, this that same home that he appraised for only 400 is probably going to sell for closer to 440 reason being um it was one of a few homes for sale this month in that neighborhood and secondly eight different people loved it and wanted it bad enough to compete with one another to find its fair market value i mean which is defined as what a ready willing and able buyer is is going to pay for your property so i personally think that the fhfa home price index is going to lag behind a little bit because it's taken into consideration a lot of those refis where the appraiser isn't even made aware anymore of what the target value is. Whereas on a purchase loan, the appraiser does receive the contract and then likewise reviews the activity, um, how many contracts were written for this property, how they take into consideration how many days on market did it take before this thing made it into contract um, under that particular price. In other words, did it sit on the market for a year and got an offer finally for 440, or did it sit on the market for three days where it had eight offers for 440? That um, I would just think that naturally, you know, in the big, big, big picture, it probably comes out in the wash and the difference is negligible. But I'm going to venture to say I think the case in Schiller is more representative of what you could sell for. And that the FHFA is probably more representative of what you could refi for. Well, we can debate this all day long. The The reality is that the numbers came out darn near identical. I know. Both yeah, reports, yeah. Which is pretty weird. Um, they, they both came out um, <clears throat> showing roughly a 0.8-ish percent gain for December. Yeah. Not bad. By the way... Um, Home values were going up at a rate that people were alarmed about, right? 2013, we had a bunch of people saying, hey, uh, this is unsustainable. Somebody help. Things are going up by 11, 15, 18% a year. And isn't that a critical ingredient to the recipe for disaster? Yes, it is. Um, now we started hearing for the last six or eight months that, hey, the home price index is down from what it was last month. The pace still the, up year over year, right? Um, and so, case, and month over month, but the, it's just often, the, the pace has slowed, right? But if you if you 
I mean, you look at November for both indices was up 0.7 roughly for December up 0.8. If you, if you look at those numbers over a 12 month period, you're still looking at darn near 10% year over year appreciation. That's above normal. Well above. One normal. of the articles I read about Case Schiller this week, um, Here's the here's the clip I pasted for you all. Home prices grew at twice the rate of inflation in 2014. That's awesome. That's what you want, right? That's it. Inflation is like 1%. You just always <laughs> want your assets to be appreciating at a faster rate than what the cost of living is. Sure. Um and that's the weakest full year gain since 2011. So that it's sort of like a here's the here's the fly in the ointment. Yeah, it still is appreciating at twice what inflation is. However, um, it's it's not on that huge growth path that it was on. But I think most everybody in the industry agrees that what we need is. Nobody needs these record breaker years anymore. Um, glad we recovered a lot of the equity that we lost and everything. But now what we want is slow and steady, normal price, nor predictable price appreciation. Well, and for the people who are disappointed with that, they want you know big unsustainable appreciation. You know, I was thinking about this on the drive in. That if you look back, there are periods of time, lengthy periods of time where home appreciation is is relatively normal you even have periods where it, it may drop a little bit but in general it it, it trends up at about three to five percent and then there are these short periods of time like we saw in the mid to late 80s and then again in the early to mid 2000s where it just jumps up dramatically and so if you're if you're a speculator and you think real estate's the way to wealth and you know you're looking for that that big get rich quick kind of gain, you know, you buy real estate and at some point in the future, probably, you know, if, if it follows recent trends about 20 years from now, you're going to see another huge dramatic move up yeah. in real estate. And what does that mean, by the way? We talk about all these numbers, everything, but here's, I was thinking about this, ironically, on my way in is you've got... If you own real estate, you own it for one of several reasons, okay? I myself personally, I own real estate because it's where uh, it's my home, okay? And and I just I'm using the word home more than I'm using the word house. It's my home. Um I always need that. I always need the roof over my head and I always need the place to keep all my things and the place to raise my kids and have my experiences. I'm always going to have that need. So do I want 20% a year appreciation? Not really, because the only thing that really means to me is, I mean, I still got to pay my house off to make the payment stop so I can retire. Uh, but the only thing it really means to me is that if I wanted then to sell my house and buy a new one, I'm going to have crazy tax increases. You know, we, we stay put because of property or prop 13 property tax. Right. So, you know, in terms of, let's say you bought a house in, in 2003. Okay. If you own it today, 
you made an emotional roller coaster ride of like, oh my God, it's worth a million dollars. Oh my God, it's worth a hundred thousand dollars. You know, it's just it's it was so wild. If you paid close attention to it, you got you got hammered, right? I mean, it, just don't look. It doesn't matter. It's your home. Then secondly. Uh, if you sold your house in 2009, 2008, and didn't buy again, you totally screwed yourself because you sold at the bottom and now you're not even staked in the market anymore. Uh, if you joined the housing economy as one of the owners in 2010, that's pretty brilliant. Congratulations for um, basically when you were born, um, you know, because it, it, it just matters generationally. We all buy homes at roughly the same place in our lives. Um, so you just you got a nod of the cap just for the generation that you were blessed to be born in. But all in all, we all got to own a house um, and work towards paying it off and what it's worth doesn't actually matter too terribly much. I think there's a little too much um, importance placed on, you know, what's it worth this year? What's it worth this month compared to last month? Um, all of that stuff, It's while it's fun to track, and obviously we talk about it on the show or the housing, real estate, finance, economic show, um, those ones are cool. I like to look at some of the other ones, for example, what what's happening with the homes that are selling these, like we said early in the show, we've got pending home sales, existing home sales and new home sales all came out um, and it's worth talking about. I mean, first and foremost, let's just say, let's start with pending home sales because in the, in the ordering, this is going to be kind of one of the the most basic ones here. These are homes that are in contract, not yet closed. So this is sort of like if everybody does what they say they're going to do, this is what's going to happen here. Um, the number of contracts signed here is the critical. Um, this is what we're looking at. The number of contracts signed on previously owned homes. So this is not counting newly constructed homes that have never been lived in. Um, in January, that was the highest level of pending home sales in 18 months. Now let's talk about that for a minute. Why would January have brought the highest level of contracts signed to transact real estate in 18 months? Because that was the last time that rates were this low. Ha. Yeah, that's true. And the other thing that you got to remember is that that's very true, by the way. It, it brings more and more people out in the home buying frenzy, which then in turn makes a seller feel like, hey, this is a pretty good time to sell. There's a lot of activity. I'm being encouraged by the agent. They've got all these pre-qualified people. It's time for me to, to take the plunge and sell. And I'm also going to argue too, though, that yeah, the interest rates have a major influence on um, how many people are entering contract to buy a home or to sell a home. Um, it has also to do with how many homes are available to sell. Um, this metric, this is a great one because it shows that people are becoming more willing to transact business. So it's not that all of these homes were offered for sale and not being purchased. We know that wasn't the case in the last 18 months, right? Have you seen a listing in your neighborhood be on the market for 18 months? Only if they're priced poorly. <laughs> if it's like a, that guy's not really trying to sell that price. Yeah. Um, the average days on market we know in our county are, is less than three months. 
Um, so point being, this is a very good thing that shows us that people are willing to transact business because uh, you don't want to sell your house if you can't buy a replacement house. You know, sell your house because you have a three bedroom and you need a four bedroom. And then you come to realize that in your entire county, there's two four bedrooms for sale. And, you know, one's ugly and the other one's next to the sewer. I don't know. You're like, well, I'm not selling my house now until I see enough listings that I know I'm not going to get stuck or have to settle. So anyway, seeing that number pop way up tells us that, yeah, it's related to interest rates, also related to just more people being willing to transact business right now, which is a good thing. Something to add on there? I was, no, not yet. Okay. Um, the next metric then is sales of existing homes. How'd those do? Um, they fell. So did new home sales. Is that surprising? Yeah. Lack of supply. There's less. So as a volume. There's just, yeah, there's just less homes out there for sale. Um, and, and because of that, there are less transactions occurring. And that's the same. That's what I was going to jump in and say is it's the same thing we're seeing in the state of California. It's the same thing we're seeing in San Luis Obispo County. California um, actually, I, I take that back. California bucked the trend. It, the number, the, the Sales were up 2% year over year, kind of shocking. Um, and here in San Luis Obispo County, sales decreased a little over 2%. Yeah. I think it means, yeah, and, you know, I feel like that's that's probably on par for the county. Uh, all in all, this county's not known for adding tremendous amounts of housing. And you got to remember, these metrics that we're talking about right now are discussing the volume of sales, number of transactions. Mm -hmm. I keep wanting to like foreshadow this and beg your train of thought here. Um, keep this in mind. Lots of contracts, decreasing volume of sales in both the existing housing stock as well as new housing stock. How does that translate into what real estate is worth this month? It's going up. It's a supply and demand function. And we we see it with the two indices we just talked about, roughly at, you know on pace for 10% appreciation. Here in the county, we in January, we saw that it was 13.6% year-over-year appreciation. And then in California, California was off the pace. They were only 6.5% year-over-year appreciation. Which is still very yeah. good. But this is the trend that we've been seeing for months on end now. Yep. You want to know one of the things I saw about new home sales that I thought was interesting? Hmm. Um, the median size. Yeah. Oh, I saw that. Oh, dang. I wanted to poll you guys um, what you think the median size is. Because I, I think we're all subject to how we think about things because of who we associate with and what our view of things are. Well, I think I, the housing stock here is just different, too. Yeah, maybe so. True. Yeah, it's hard. You don't see an awful lot of, you know, 3,000 square foot homes around slow until you get out to, like, the country club and I mean, stuff. How, the most common thing is the three-bedroom, two-bath home. Yeah. Roughly two thousand square feet. Right, I w I wouldn't even go that high. Yeah. I'd say 18, I'd say in 16, San Luis Obispo, the average house size is probably somewhere around fourteen hundred square feet. 
And then the median, this is a nationwide figure, right? 2,415 square feet yeah. is the average size of the new home now being constructed in the U.S. I just thought we were getting high energy costs. We're bringing us to like smaller, more reasonable houses that were easier to manage. And um, but then again, I start I started thinking about that. That's fascinating. That's much larger than my house. Um, but I started thinking, hey, maybe that's because people are like, you know what? When the going gets tough, the kids move back in. Yeah, right. When the parents can't afford the forty five hundred dollar a month assisted living facility now, they move back in. Um, so you got now maybe there just is this sort of yeah we probably could cram our stuff into a 1300 square foot house and be more environmentally friendly and sensitive and all these things but you know we know now there's a bunch of stats i keep not clipping them because i don't know that it's worth talking about the millennials and the rate at which they're sharing houses with multiple roommates or living with their parents into their 40s all these different stats about um the change in household dynamics over this last 10 year period uh, and then i read this and i'm like bam people are buying huge houses 2400 square foot's a big house well in a lot of the country it's not very expensive. that's a mansion <laughs> it's not as expensive to build when you get outside of california hey we've got a caller waiting on the line we've got marilyn calling from san luis obispo good morning good marilyn. morning gentlemen good morning the more you talk the more questions i have all right <laughs> let's hear them uh years ago we built um it was 1960. Our average is 1,600. That's the square footage in our home. A very large yard. Very. <laughs> but when we were young, uh, the children played in the yards. Yep. And when my husband was alive, he was working in the assessor's office as an appraiser. And he'd like to go and drive around and show me the new uh, housing developments. And I said, Bill, you have such a huge house and no backyard. What's with that? And he said, well, it takes two, the two parents working to pay for the house, and so the children are in child care, and they don't need that. Hmm. So... Um, my question wasn't that, it's just a statement, but our house is under Prop 13. Yep. <clears throat> so when my children, I don't know if they'll sell or rent, but if they retained it, uh, they would be under Prop 13. But would they uh, be able to live here? Or, I mean, would they be able to live elsewhere and rent? And still have the Prop 13. Yeah, it depends on, to mine, I mean, I'm not an estate planner or a tax professional by any stretch, but um, to my knowledge, it depends on your estate planning. I think that if you do it correctly, you preserve um, both options for them to either occupy it and keep the tax base or to keep it as a rental and keep the tax base. But oh. yeah, and you know, I. I would encourage you, though, the, that obviously is a big enough deal. Um, and I'll give you a little example of this. I, I recently helped a couple in Los Osos that were buying real estate from their parents. And the parents owned this property for like 40 years, okay? So their tax base was like, you know, uh, $1,100 a year. 
And if the kids could get that tax base, obviously that meant their their taxes were about a hundred bucks a month. Going at current market rate, if they just were buying and paying the current tax rate, the taxes are four hundred dollars a month. Okay, that's a big difference. And let me just remind you that that's four hundred bucks a month forever. You think okay. about that. That's that is a very long time. Those numbers. You can't even calculate it. It's an infinite number. So making sure that you have your estate planning set up in a way that your kids are, that you shouldn't, my point is this, Marilyn, you shouldn't have this question. Um, if you're doing it right and you understand what the with your estate plan, how you're flowing this property to the kids that are inheriting it, whether they rent it and keep your low tax base to maximize the passive income and make their lives a little bit easier forever, um, or they move into it and have a lower house payment with lower property taxes and in that way are growing their wealth. In either case, you guys should have a pretty clear idea of exactly what needs to happen in your estate to make sure that transfers. Um, and so I think that's a great opportunity to reach out to whoever does your estate planning and say, I just want to make sure that this is exactly what we intend it to be and to make sure that you understand it. Um, we had an estate attorney on the show a couple years ago, um, and the advice that was given quite simply was um, it's so important to revisit estate plans. Um, they oftentimes they get written and they sit on the shelf for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And some of the rules change. Some of the people that are listed in your estate plan are no longer alive themselves or relationships have changed or maybe great grandchildren now need to be written in. Um, it's just to you and everybody else listening, it's a great opportunity to revisit it and make sure it accomplishes all of your objectives and is as up-to-date and current as it really should be. Okay. Do you advise, we have, or I have an estate plan, mm -hmm. and I keep current with the attorney, but I've never asked her uh, whether it's better for the heirs to sell or rent. Now, that's an individual um, decision, but what would you advise? Yeah, I would say it's individual because, I mean, one of my good friends is a financial planner for one of the big firms in town, and he's got the running joke that usually the sign goes in the yard before the body goes in the ground. Oh, and I know it's kind of morbid and a gross thing to say, but it exists in that industry because it's really the norm is that oftentimes, regardless of what your best intention is for your kids, if they feel like all of a sudden, you know, they they have this opportunity to sell this asset for a million dollars and split it with their other sibling where they're both going to be cash flush with 500 grand immediately. Um, I think there people have a propensity to do that, take that instant gratification and, you know, whether or not they make good decisions with what they do with the money versus yeah. the other option is to keep it as a source of passive income. You know, of course, you have to maintain it and manage it and do everything it takes in owning that property. But it's going to go up more over time. We know that, it, you know, we just were talking these things are going up between five and 10 percent a year. Um, so the reality of it is, is that your whatever your wishes are may or may not be honored in your estate. Um, 
and so then I would ask you that question of, you know, do your kids need a plan forced on them? In other words, the trust would outlaw that it, or would outlay that this property is to be maintained and either lived in or rented, but shouldn't be sold. I mean, you can you can go force these stipulations on them or you can trust that they're going to make the best decision they can. And, you know, it's a you've done all the parenting you need to do. Now it's time to just um, let the estate take care of it. I mean, those those are individual things for you. Um, and then, of course, it also matters on what um, what the heirs objectives are. Uh, if they're going to sell it and take the money and pay off all their debts, including their mortgage, and set up college funds for their kids and really dramatically improve and change their quality of life, maybe that's the best use for it. I mean, it's it's. I don't know that there's a any broad brush strokes to answer that question. I think it's very unique to every person and situation. I think it would be bad to force them into not selling. And your estate plan, that would cause a feud immediately. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> I've seen also, too, I've seen where um, kids sell it because it was where their parents lived for 50 years. And, you know, some people are real sentimental about that and never want to let it go. And other people going in their house just brings so much heartache and they don't want that to right. be to burden them in that way. So then, you, again, it comes back to those kids and how they feel about it and, um, you know, what what ultimately is going to be the best thing for them to do, not just financially, but also, you know, emotionally and psychologically and everything. Well, if they decide to sell, I'll tell them to call you guys first. <laughs> we'll, Marilyn, we'll give them some good advice for you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate all your information. All right. Have a good one. Oh, final commercial break of the show time. Uh, these hours go by pretty quick. I like, uh, you know, I wasn't here last weekend. I like the pace. Can I just do every other week on the show? <laughs> he just laughed. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's not when you're like, you talk too much. If, I, if that's the problem, if it's just me soaking up too much airwaves, I'll just, I'll, since I can't refrain, I'll just not come here but twice a month. I just learn so much when you're here. <laughs> yeah, right. So much. You like Dan just aced a Sudoku game on his computer <laughs> just in minutes, not even needing to pay attention to the the long diatribes. Should we take the break? Yeah, we should. I think <laughs> like, I think he was I got going my button here. I've been finger over the bed oh, for like yeah. the last ten minutes here. <laughs> Push it. All right, Jim, let's do this break, and we'll come back for the home stretch. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you buy your next home. We promise to close on time, on budget, with no surprises. Give Central Coast Lending a call today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, guys, welcome back. It's 10.46. 10.47. <laughs> We're just going to count it down. That's good radio. That's good radio. I mean, <laughs> just kidding. Oh my. That's not what we were going to do. We cannot end this show without to- talking just a little bit about some of that testimony from Janet Yellen that we were that we talked about. Yep. We just alluded to it. We didn't even really talk about what she said. But it's in, in context of rates? Yeah. Yeah. In in context of rates and there and the Fed's view of of how the economy's doing, which is a, a forecast for us, the rest of the population, to understand when and, and how quickly rates might begin to go up. They're definitely in going June. up. In June. That's you know th- that's what some people think. Right now, it's down to about 40% of of traders and, and economists, people who really follow this stuff closely. It's now declined to 40% of those folks believe that it will happen in June. More people believe that it will happen in September now. Right. Um, would be the earliest date that we start to see rates rise. And it, it has to do with um, the, the Fed statement from a week ago and then this testimony this past week that the Fed basically said they're pleased with the recent growth. You know, we we saw the first reading of, of GDP come out um, for fourth quarter. It was up 2.2%. Now, the Fed wants to see this closer to 3%. So they're pleased that it, from where it's come from, but it still has a little bit of improvement. Um, also, likewise with employment. You know, we've, we've seen the employment rate fall, the unemployment rate fall. We've seen job gains look really good. I pointed this out last week that as good as the job gains have been, they're actually on a declining trend the past three months. Went from like 
450 to 350 to 250 over the last three months. It's still the best three-month span in 17 years, but there's a trend back to where we've been, which is around the 200,000 number. So we've seen a lot of improvement from over the last five years, but they're still pondering. That it's not clear to them when they're going to start raising rates. So you know, sooner than later is becoming more and more unlikely. Um, the quote the, that made the, the article I clipped here says it all. Despite this improvement, too many Americans remain unemployed and underemployed. Wage growth is still sluggish, and inflation remains well below our long-run objective. Yep. I, too, brought some notes on this topic, Dan. And, um, you know, from what I saw, this is what I captured. Um, The Fed's had a few goals in mind, um, and primarily I'll just – I'm going to limit it back to these two. Uh, rates are going to go up when we've reached full employment or have reason to believe that we're systemically close to full employment and also have um, created the inflation that we need to have to uh, keep the the economy stable prices and increasing prices are a critical component to this. Um, What's missing from that statement that used to be part of every every Fed statement? Housing. Right. It used to be housing and jobs, jobs and housing. Yeah, not anymore. No, now it's jobs and inflation. Inflation, yeah. The housing's taken care of now. Housing's good. Yeah. And so, um, you know, number one, what we found out is that the employment mandate is gone pretty good. Um, I got... I don't know that we have the time or necessarily the interest to talk about the rest of the piece of jobs, which is not only full employment, but also wage growth. Um, I brought a few. Let me just read to you a few things describing what's going on there. Um, First and foremost, in 2013, four states enacted new minimum wage laws. Okay. In 2014, another 10 states and D.C. enacted um, raises to the minimum. In addition to that, nine states automatically adjust minimum wages to track with um, cost of living. And so you add all that up together, and that means that 29% of the states out of the nation already have wages that are above that of the um, federal minimum the wage. Federal minimum wage. Um, now, the next components, I, and I just say that to, to keep in mind that this isn't something you necessarily need the government to mandate. Um, a, it, it sort of is the majority of this is taking care of itself. And, and if you don't think so, let's talk a little bit about the private sector real quick. Um, the We had um, – and Walmart is one of the examples that we'll cite here. They're increasing their minimum wages. They have a plan to exceed – we don't need to get into an argument about whether or not you think that it is – you know, significant or the government should do it, or if you're left or right leaning, you've got some well-prepared argument as to why the other side's absolutely nuts. Um, But the reality of it is these are private enterprises that are planning on raising their employment costs on themselves to meet objectives of providing better service and quality to their clients. And retaining 
key employees. Yeah, and not having that training expense and all those things that go into it. You know, in Walmart, one of the big things that they've done, I'm not a big Walmart shopper, but I know they're moving into having a grocery department that's got produce and these kind of things. And for those reasons, you need higher quality employees that care more and aren't complacent and all these things. I, I get why they're doing it. Um, it's a billion dollars that they're going to pay next year in meeting the objectives that they've already laid out. Point being, this is the mentality now that a lot of these businesses do have is that they're going to begin creating wage growth to both preserve and maintain their place in the market, but also to improve the relation with their consumer base and the product quality all throughout. So you see this already playing out that that did you see who followed this week? TJ Maxx and Marshalls yeah. both came up with similar plans to raise uh, worker pay by uh, up to $9 an hour by June and up to $10 an hour in next year. Yep. And so, you know, what this means to me is that that wage growth is coming and we're seeing it proactively initiated in the private sector, which tells me that that mentality from the CEO down is going to begin taking hold this year. We're going to see the wage growth where it needs to be. And then lagging behind that right now, the, their second objective. So all in all, I'm going to say that the, the employment market, I think, is fine. I, I'm not... I'm predicting that it's this in, year yeah, it's, it's improving. improving not only the jobs, the quality of jobs, the hourly earnings. I think this year will prove to be a great year in that regard. Um, once we get farther into the year, obviously, we're going to have more context to be able to put more faith into that. So then next up just comes inflation. Um, are we doing good producer price index-wise, consumer price index-wise? We learned this week that consumer price index fell 0.7% in January. Uh, mostly due to energy, as when most you, people would suspect. When you take that out, is actually up. Yeah. So all in all here, um, we see some little bit of stabilization now in gas prices. Nobody's thinking anymore that the, you know, we know where the floor is. We've already seen the price at the pumps gone up significantly. I saw yesterday it looked like the average the stations I passed were back to 360, 370 for a gallon of gas. So it's gone up quite a bit. Um, man, we're running out of time. Interestingly enough, um, at the same time, because of the plummeting energy costs, we actually had one of the worst starts we've ever had in a year for mortgage-backed securities. They were advised against purchasing mortgage-backed securities, which had rates actually artificially higher than where they should have been. Just this week, some of the chief advisors in the country that talk about that have sort of lifted that ban on investors buying mortgage-backed securities. And so I think we're likely to see some good interest rates coming into home buying season. We're going to continue to be flooded with good uh, employment numbers and reports. And lastly, I think that once energy stabilizes and things sort of normalize there, we're also going to see increase in those inflation numbers that the Fed's been trying to target. And I actually personally think we're probably looking at the end of the year um, sometime in the fall that we'll see the first movement in interest rates. But this, of course, goes on to uh, we have to remember that we're not disconnected or immune from what's going on overseas. You know, the, the movement advancements that have been happening 
happening um, with Greece and um, Germany and all that. So we'll, we'll we'll continue to track all that stuff. But I I kind of feel like right now there is that golden opportunity yet again. Low interest rates, stable to appreciating home values. It's a great time to get in and get something um, set up for the future. Uh, we were talking about the water a little bit earlier, Dan. Um, I'll tell you one of the big differences there is that um, when you're renting a water softener, that's 100% interest that's going on forever. When you rent a house, your interest rate is 100%. Every dollar you spend on it is gone forever. When you're buying your house, your interest rate is 4% today. Uh, and it's fixed and it's locked in. And when that's over in 30 years, you're done. Um, so instead of paying 100% interest, come on down and pay four. Um, we're pre-qualifying people every day to get out and, and act in the in the housing market here. Um, this week, we closed transactions for people buying brand new homes, for people buying existing homes, for people that are refinancing. If you guys have any needs whatsoever, you're wanting to talk about refinancing or, you know, my earlier offer was if you had a loan that's adjustable or interest only or something, you, you just suspect you understand or maybe you feel like you don't understand um you got a friend in the mortgage business you guys can come find us and we'll help you with it uh, we have one phone number that rings all of our offices it's 543 loan you of course know that from the annoying jingle we play too much on this channel uh, but if you guys need some help call us 543-5626 or vin venture on over to the website centralcoastlending.com you can study up read our bios, learn a little bit about loan programs and interest rates and all that stuff, um, and then reach out to us when we're ready. We'd love to be able to help you. That's it, dude. It's the end of February. I see the rain starting, mm -hmm. but it looks funny um, to see it raining when it's sunny. What a beautiful day. I don't uh, see much sun out there, Jason. There's your rain, Jim. I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm staring at blue sky wow. through oh, rain. My angle now. We do have a, another live show scheduled next week. Um, I don't know. Oh, next week we'll be talking about the jobs report mm -hmm. again, um, bringing us up to speed. Those are huge, um, huge announcements the first week of every month. So, yeah, guys, this week, if you need any loan help whatsoever, give us a call, 543-5626. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks much for listening today. And for Marilyn, our, our um, ever-so-dependable caller that calls us um, and lets us know we have at least one listener every Saturday. Thank you. Um, yeah, and centralcoastlending.com you guys it's your resource for anything that you need to know um, primarily a great way to get a hold of us thanks much for being with us we'll be back next week with another episode of mortgage matters